How many of you have one of these? It's a passport. If you've ever traveled overseas, you have one of these. It's your passport. It's how you enter the country. It's how you travel while you're in another country, a foreign country. Your passport has a, has a picture of you. It has your name. It has the place you were born. It has the nation that you belong to. And if you're traveling in a foreign country, you have to have a passport. Now, most of us don't like our pictures on, on our passports. True story. Read about this woman who traveled a lot, and she was getting her passport renewed, and when she went and got her picture taken, she looked at the new picture, she looked at the old picture, and she said, I like the old picture better. And the guy taking the picture said, don't worry, you'll like this one better in 10 years. True story, before we went overseas the last time, I had to get my passport renewed, or several times ago, I had to get my passport renewed, and, and I didn't take one picture, I took two pictures, because the first picture they took, I smiled, and I've smiled on every passport picture I've ever taken, and this is my third or fourth passport, and the person taking the picture said, you can't smile, and I said, well, that's what I do, smile, he said, well, you can't smile. I said, so what am I supposed to do, look grumpy? He said, well, you can't smile. And so I didn't smile, and I'm looking at this picture, and I I kid you not, I look like a grumpy old man. And I, I pray that this isn't really how I look. Now, today, we're going to be talking about our spiritual passport as we live in, as we travel through a land That is not our own. We're in the fourth week, the final week of a series that we're calling Exiles. We've been looking at how God's people, the nation of Israel, lived as they were in exile in the nation of Babylon. And as we've looked at this, we've looked at three different things. We began by looking at a letter that Jeremiah wrote from Jerusalem to Babylon to the people in exile there. We find that letter in Jeremiah 29. And in that letter, Jeremiah is telling the exiles, this is how you're to live while you're in exile. And he gives us a clear description of how you and I as Christ followers should live as we are living in exile. In week two, we we opened up the book of Daniel and we discovered how we are to make a difference by being different. And we discovered how Daniel and his friends, even though they submitted to the authorities of the land, there were certain things that they would not do because they followed the one true God. And because they were different, God used them to make a difference. Last week, in in week three, we discovered that as we live in a pagan land, as we live in exile, as as we live in, in spiritual Babylon we're going to have to face fiery furnaces. Now, none of us like to, but fiery furnaces are, they're a part of life for exiles. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego found that out. But we discovered that if we are faithful as we live in exile and as we face the fiery furnaces, God will use us and we will experience God's power and and God's presence like we never have and And if we are fortunate, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, God may even use us to touch a pagan king. 
In that fiery furnace, God planted a seed in Nebuchadnezzar's heart, the, the king of Babylon, to the point that several years later, Nebuchadnezzar became a follower of the one true God. You see, we are in exiles today. We are aliens today. We're, we're temporary residents here on this earth. This world is not our home. And the Bible makes that very clear. Hebrews 13 says it this way. This world is not our home. Now, if you're a Christ follower, you know that. You know that at the very best, this world is corrupted by sin. We, we look around and, and we see this world is corrupted. It's tainted by sin. At the very worst, this world is controlled by sin. There are some that say, well, America's different. We're a Christian nation. Well, would a Christian nation enslave an entire race of people? We did. Would a Christian nation kill millions upon millions of babies for the sake of convenience? We did. Would a Christian nation redefine marriage and morality to fit our standards rather than God's standards? We we have. Would a Christian nation worship power and, and pleasure and, and money and all of these other things rather than the God of the Bible? Well, we do. That's why if you're a Christ follower today, you really love the, the latter part of that verse in Hebrews 13 where it says, we are looking forward to a home yet to come. Amen? I mean, that's our hope. We realize that as we live here on planet earth, this isn't our home. As we watch what is happening in America today, we recognize this isn't our home. We have something far better to look forward to. And yet, as we live here as exiles, as strangers, as aliens, as, as temporary residents, we're called to live a certain way. So as we wrap up this series this morning, what I want us to do is, is focus on not how we're to live. We've already talked about that. But I want us to focus on what we look like, our spiritual passport. Those things that, that describe us, those things that define us, those characteristics that that people could use to identify who we are as followers of Jesus, as exiles in this world. And I want us to look at 1 Peter chapter 1 to answer that question. And so, if you haven't already, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. While you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of background. And in verses 1 and 2, Peter tells us that, that he is writing to believers whom he then describes as exiles, aliens, temporary residents, that are scattered throughout what is known now as modern-day Turkey. And then as Peter pins this letter to these believers who are exiles, two other times he calls them exiles. So these men and women who are followers of Jesus, who have been chosen by God and who have chosen to follow Jesus, are exiles in this world. And then in verse 3, through the rest of this chapter, Peter describes these exiles. 
Now, for the sake of time, I want us to hone in on verses 17 through 25. So if your Bible is open, I want you to listen to what what Peter says, how he describes those of us who were exiles. Uh, Listen, beginning in verse 17. And remember that the Heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as exiles. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was, it was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God. And you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now, you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. For you have been born again. But not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. Now, as Peter begins, he reminds us that God has no favorites. You need to understand that it's God's desire that everyone be saved and everyone come to a knowledge of the truth. We read that in in 1 1 Timothy. And God's desire is that no one perish, but that all come to repentance. We read that in 2 Peter. And so when it comes to the judgment we will face, we will all be judged by the same standard because God wants to save everyone. You see, that's why we need to take our relationship with God very seriously. Because each and every one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we will all be judged by the same standard. And then Peter gives us three descriptions. He gives us three characteristics of what a follower of Jesus looks like. Of what an exile looks like. And I want you to know this morning that if you're going to heaven, if that is the home that you're looking forward to one day, then these characteristics are going to be found in your life. You say, Rocky, what do you mean? I mean, what I say. If you're saved, if you're going to heaven, then all three of these characteristics will have been experienced. By you. Now let me give them to you. Here's the first thing that Peter says. He says that as exiles, we are ransomed from an empty life. Look at verse 18 again. He says, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life. Now I want to begin with what the exiles have been ransomed from. Peter says that they have been ransomed from an empty life. Now that word, empty life, depending on the translation of the Bible you have, is is translated vain, worthless, futile. But the word literally means empty. It means profitless. In other words, this world, 
this life as we know it will never be able to fill the void in your life. This world, this life as we know it will never be able to give you a real reason for living. And that's true of anything and everything that this world has to offer. Solomon is described as the wisest man who ever lived. And he wrote an entire book, the book of Ecclesiastes, that describes his search for meaning and purpose in life. And Solomon tried to find meaning in pleasure, and he tried to find meaning in his work, and he tried to find meaning in, in um, money, and he tried to find meaning in knowledge, and he tried to find meaning in wealth and power, and all of these things. And at the end of the day, Solomon said this. He said, vanity of vanities, everything is vanity. In other words, emptiness of emptiness. Everything that this world has to offer, everything that this world gives leads to emptiness. And so at the end of Solomon's book in chapter 12, Solomon says this, I have come to the conclusion, man must fear God and obey him forever. He he went through life trying to fill the void in his life with all of these things, and it always left him empty. And in the end, he said, I've come to the conclusion that nothing this world has to offer is going to fill the emptiness in your soul. Only God can do that. You see, apart from a relationship with God, our Creator, life is going to be empty. Nothing that this world has to offer is going to satisfy There's a great theologian of the past. Some of you have heard of him. Mick Jagger. He said, said, I can't get no satisfaction. And I've tried. And that's where everyone is who is seeking satisfaction in this life. You see, God created you, and he created you in such a way that the things of this world, no matter how much we get, no matter how many we get, they're never going to satisfy us. They never will fill us up. Only a relationship with God will do that. That's what he created us for. He created us for a relationship. So understand, without Christ, your life is going to be empty. And and so if you're searching for for the filling of that void through your next job or your next relationship or your next thrill, I've got news for you. It's not going to work. This world, on its own, is going to always leave you empty. I'm not judging. I don't know their hearts. But I would suppose that deep down inside, Donald Trump is an empty man trying to fill the void in his soul. And and I don't know. I can't judge. But I would think that Hillary Clinton is an empty woman trying to fill the void in her soul. And they think that if they have this amount of power or this amount of money or this amount of pleasure, then the emptiness is going to go away. And 
And I wish I could sit down and talk with them and tell them it, it won't. It never will. And so what did God do? You see, God doesn't want us to, to live an empty life. God wants us to live a full and a meaningful life. So what did he do? Look at the first part of that verse. God paid a ransom. God paid a ransom to save you from an empty life. Now, do you know what a ransom is? The dictionary defines a ransom as money that is paid in order to free someone who has been captured or kidnapped. But the word translated here is more than that. It is a word to, to describe the price that is paid to set a slave free. You see, we're not just captives. We are slaves to this empty life. We are controlled by this empty life. And we are trying desperately to, to fill the void, the emptiness, and, and we can't. Because the things of this world never will. In verse 19, notice what it says. It says that God paid the ransom, how? Not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Look at me. More money is not going to take away your emptiness. You make more money, you make lots of it, and you're going to still be empty. A better relationship isn't going to take away your emptiness. Some of you believe if I had a better husband, better wife, better boyfriend, better girlfriend, I wouldn't be so empty. And so you go on your search and you're going to find them, but you're still going to be empty. Because nothing that this world has to offer, nothing that this world gives can ransom your emptiness. Only the blood of Jesus can. And some of you here today, you need to throw up your hands and you need to give up and say, I am tired of trying to fill the emptiness in my soul with the things of this world. And you need to turn to God and trust Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus to fill the emptiness in your soul. Now look at verse 20. Verse 20 says it this way. It says, God chose him as your ransom Long before the world began. Now, just ponder that for just a minute. God decided that Jesus was going to be your ransom before he even created the world. That means the cross wasn't an accident. The shed blood of Jesus was not an afterthought. Before God ever created us, he knew that we would sin. And he knew that sin was so horrific that the only price that could be paid to ransom us from our sin and the empty life that sin brings is the precious blood of his son. And yet, hear me, God created us nevertheless because he so wanted you and I to experience life with him. He so wanted you and I to experience a relationship with him that he risked everything and he gave everything so that you and I could be ransomed from an empty life oh listen God loves you and he longs for you to know him discover your reason for existence and so exiles Christ followers we've been ransomed from the empty way of life we're not on that 
We're not on that wheel going round and round trying to find meaning in this life anymore because we know our meaning comes from God. Second, exiles have been cleansed from sin. Look at verse 22. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. You see, the Bible says that exiles haven't just been set free from an empty life. Exiles have been cleansed from sin. Now, here's what I know about people. Most people. I know that most people want to go to heaven. Now, I know there's somewhere out there some nutcase that says, I want to go to hell. But let me tell you, those nutcases are few and far between. I mean, most people want to go to heaven. And we may have a confused view about what heaven is like. And we may have a totally misunderstood view about how to get there. But most people want to go to heaven. But I've also discovered another truth about most people. And that is most people don't want to be cleansed from sin. You see, we want to go to heaven... But we don't want to be cleansed from sin. And the reason we don't want to be cleansed from sin is because we enjoy sin. We enjoy the way it makes us feel. We enjoy the places it lets us go. We enjoy the perceived freedom that it gives. And the truth of the matter is, hear me, the truth of the matter is, the Bible says there's pleasure in sin. The Bible makes it clear that that there is some fun. There are some good times. There are good feelings that come with sin, but it is for a season. The pleasure and the joy and the fun that sin brings never satisfies. And yet some of us are so enslaved, some of us are so encaptured by sin that we just cannot let it go. Truth be told, we are controlled by sin. We long for sin. We have to have our sin. Over the years, I've met many people who, who say they want to go to heaven, and I've sat down and said, great, let me tell you how to get there. And, and we talk about how you have to repent of sin. You have to turn from sin. And, and you can give illustrations, examples of, of sin, and over and over and over again, I've, I've heard people say, well, I want to go to heaven, but, but I don't want to give up my sin. I like my sin. I love my sin. Do, do you remember the movies, the Fellowship of the Ring, the Lord of the Rings, all of that? Remember, it's all about a ring. And the ring, remember what it does? It corrupts you and turns you and makes you into something you don't want to be. But even though it does that, you get so in love with the ring that you can't give it up. Remember that? That's kind of what sin does. Sin grabs a hold of us. And though we know that it's destroying and it's destructive, we just can't seem to let it go. And that's the problem. You see, we can't get to heaven unless we've been cleansed from sin. Because heaven is a sinless place. God is a God free from sin. And heaven is a place 
free from sin. And God cannot tolerate sin in heaven. And so if you're here today and you're saying, I want to go to heaven, but I want to live with my sin, then God's saying, you have no clue what heaven is like. And you have to make that choice. Do I want to give up my sin or do I want to go to heaven? Because you can't have both. I think about David, the king of Israel. He was a good king. He was a great king. Greatest king to ever live. He was even described as the man after God's own heart. But David sinned terribly. He committed adultery with a married woman. He tried to cover up his adultery. And when he couldn't cover it up, you know what he did? He had the woman's husband killed. Adultery, murder. And then for a year, he lived as if he did no wrong. But his sin just ate at him and ate at him and ate at him until he finally got to that place where he wanted to be free from sin. Not just the guilt, not just the shame, not just the penalty. He wanted to be free from sin. And you see, just like David, we've got to come to that point in our life where we, we not only want the penalty of our sin forgiven, we not only want the guilt and the shame to be taken away, we want to be free from sin. Listen to some of what David said. It's in Psalm 51. If you want to go back and read it later, but he said, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night against you. And you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. Purify me. And I will be clean. Wash me. And I will be whiter than snow. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart. Is that the cry of your heart? I'm here to tell you, look at me. If you're saved, if you're a child of God, if you are in exile, you long to be cleansed from sin. And the cry of your heart is just like David. Create a new heart in me. Remove not just the guilt and the shame, but the stain and the control of sin from me. And so if you've gotten to that point in your life where you've said, God, it's all yours. I don't want it. Have you gotten to the point in your life where the things that break God's heart breaks your heart? You see, an exile has been ransomed from the empty life. They, they've come to understand that this world doesn't satisfy. An exile has been cleansed from sin, not just the penalty, not just the shame, but their desire is to be set free from the very power of sin in their life. But then there's a third thing that Peter says, and that is exiles are born again to a new life. Look at verse 23. He says, for you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. You've been born again to a new life. One night Jesus 
met with the religious leader, and the religious leader, the very first words out of his mouth to Jesus was this, we know that you're from God. No one could do the things that you do apart from them being from God. The very first words out of Jesus' mouth were this, unless you're born again, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said that if you want to be a part of God's kingdom, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus, he was confused. He didn't understand. And he said, how? How can a grown man, my age, my size, somehow get back in my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus said, you don't understand. Flesh gives birth to flesh. There's a physical birth we all have. That's how we got here. But the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. There is a spiritual birth that we all must experience if we are a part of the kingdom of God. And then he said, don't let it surprise you when I say you must be born again. Born of the Spirit. I want you to look at me. I can take you back to the day, to the moment, to the place I was when that happened in my life. I was changed. I was different. I was born again. I know this sounds weird, but but God's Spirit, God's Spirit came to live in me. And and though from that time until now I haven't been perfect and I've messed up and I've blown it and I've had highs and lows and ups and downs, at that moment in time, my life was forever changed. I wanted to live for Jesus. I wanted to serve Him. The desires of my heart in an instant changed. It was as if I was born again. I was given a fresh start, a, a new beginning. And, and exiles have experienced that new birth. So how? How are we ransomed? From an empty life. How are we cleansed. From sin. How are we born again. To a new life. Well look what it says in verse 21. Through Christ. You have come to trust in God. Through Christ. You have come to trust in God. John 14 verse 6. Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life. No one can come to the father. Except through me. Jesus didn't say you can't get to heaven except through me. He said you can't even get to God except through me. The only way that you can know God is through Jesus. The only way that you can experience God is through Jesus. The only way you can trust in God is through Jesus. Jesus is the only way to God. And so then it says we have placed our faith and our hope in God who raised Christ from the dead. We've realized that the things of this world will let us down. We're not trusting in the things of this world. Not our 401k. 
not the election process, and not anything else. We are trusting in God. Our hope isn't in our retirement account. Our hope is in God. And when we come to that point where we lay it all down and we trust in God through Christ and we place our faith and our hope in Him, everything changes. And we are ransomed from an old empty life. We are cleansed from our sin and and we are born again. There's a podcast that is put out by National Public Radio. It's called American Life. And every week it tells a different story. And last week, the story was of a woman named Marin Estefana. She was born in a small northwestern African country called Eritrea. But when she was a child, she moved to Sweden with her family. She grew up there, and as she grew up, she went to school, and she became a journalist. One day, she got a tip. The tip said, call this number. And she called the number... And on the other side of the line was someone who was claiming to be a hostage. Someone who had been captured by human traffickers. And they were from the country of Eritrea. At first she didn't believe it. She thought it was a hoax. But as she began to research and as she continued to call, she discovered that they really were captives. And there were dozens of them who had been kidnapped and were being held for ransom in the Sinai Peninsula. And every single Eritrean was trying to raise $20,000 so that they could be set free. Well, the government wouldn't get involved. And, and after a while, Marin decided that she was going to take matters into her own hands. So she began to raise money so that she could pay the ransom of these captives. And over time she raised thousands and thousands of dollars. And, and she paid the ransom. And dozens of Eritreans were set free. When they were set free they, they resettled in Israel. And a couple of years later Marin went to Israel to visit the people that she had ransomed. She met them in a public park, and you can imagine the joy on the faces of these Eritreans as they met the one who paid the ransom so they could be set free. When I heard that story this week, it dawned on me. That's how it's going to be for us one day who follow Jesus. One day we're going to be taken from this home that we're exiles in, we're temporary residents, we're aliens, we're captives even in in a manner of speaking, and we're going to be taken home. And when we're taken home, we're going to meet the one who paid the ransom for us. We're going to meet the one who shed his blood so that we can be set free. And every one of us who is an exile, who is a follower of Jesus, we probably are going to fall at his feet and we're going to worship him, the one who paid the ransom for us. And so my question for you this morning is this. Has the ransom been paid? Have you been ransomed from the empty life? 
Have you been cleansed from sin? Is your desire to be free from the power of sin in your life? Have you been born again? Can you say there's a moment in time where Jesus changed your life? Now, here's what I know. There are some of you here this morning that are sitting in seats. You could care less what I'm talking about. I know that. And you're going to leave here this morning and you're going to forget everything I've said. You haven't been listening. I recognize that. There are others of you here this morning that you've been listening to what I've said. And you're pondering what I said. You know that I'm speaking to you. You know that you've been pursuing the empty life. You know that you are longing for sin. You know that the Spirit of God has never made you a new person. You know that and you're wondering what you should do. But the fact of the matter is, when the end of the service comes, you're going to walk out this door and you're not going to have done anything. You're going to walk out this door and you're going to still be pursuing the empty life. But there are some of you, I believe with all my heart, there are some of you here who you know you've been pursuing the empty life. You know that you're controlled by sin. You know that the Spirit of God has never made you new. And right now, God's Spirit is so convicting you that you just want to get right with God. And you're who I'm talking to right now. And so if that's where you're at, then what I want to encourage you to do is bow your head with everybody else. Let's all bow our heads. If that's where you're at, you're saying, I want to make this commitment today. I want to be ransomed. I want to be cleansed. I want to be born again. Then I encourage you to pray this prayer right now. You pray it out to God with all your heart. Dear God, I come to you this morning. Asking you to forgive me. I've lived in rebellion. I've chased after this world. I've been living for sin. I've been acting like I'm my own God. Forgive me. I don't want to live this way anymore. Jesus, I want you to ransom me from this empty life. I want you to cleanse me from my sin. I want your spirit to come into me and make me brand new. So right here, right now, I'm placing my trust in you, Jesus. I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead, defeating sin and death. And so today, I'm giving my life to you. I want to follow you. I want to serve you. Come into my heart and change me. Take control of my life. Make me brand new. I know that I could never earn your forgiveness. I know I could never deserve your mercy. 
but I'm trusting you to give it because you said you would. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. 